what does it mean for God to truly mature you? And so you've hopefully spent the last 10, 11 months going, all right, God, I see where you're maturing you as, as he's identified things in your life. And I have, I have seen from a lot of you a lot of maturity happen. I've experienced it. I've seen some immense brokenness where God has been cutting away things that aren't connected to him as a true vine. And it has been, it has been a really, really good year. And, and so we decided kind of as, as, as a church, as leadership, that we would, we would push on that maturity a little bit because the book of Hebrews is an incredibly difficult uh, book when it comes to theology and, and doctrine. It's a, it's a very intellectual book. It has a lot of um, kind of landmines in it with some of the theology that people want to get stuck on. And so it's a very thick and deep kind of an intellectual book, but we'll talk more also about another aspect of Hebrews that's good in just a second. As you've pressed in this year to maturity, as you've, as you've given yourself to maturity, my hope is that, that as you look back over the next last 11 months, you can go, man, Lord, you have done some incredibly faithful things in me. I've seen you mature me in my finances. I've seen you mature me in my marriage. I've seen you mature me as a parent or mature me in my faith or my understanding of who you are. I've seen you mature me through anxiety or depression. Like my hope is that you've, you've really, really given yourself to that because here's Here's the truth. The truth is that, that Hebrews is just going to push that that much further. Hebrews is going to take you specifically, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to drive a wedge in your maturity where you're going to see like, oh, okay, this is, this is what's expected of me. In fact, even the author of Hebrews talks about how the people are still drinking milk spiritually, but they should be eating steak. They should be chewing on this stuff. And so even them being somewhat immature in their faith and understanding. And so this is an incredible book, and I'm excited about that. And we're going we're gonna to give you something else. We're going to push in light of this book for the following year. Um, but as we kind of turn the page, you, some of you are like, man, I forgot we were doing maturity. you got three weeks to give yourself to maturity before this year ends. No, you can keep giving yourself to that. Um, as, we, as we push on this a little bit, we're going we're gonna to see how Hebrews can take us through there. Now, as we start every book, it's always good for us to kind of do a little bit of an overview of understanding the context of the book and, and how it's written. And so we can kind of use that as kind of something to lay over as we go into each week. We'll kind of come back to some of this off and on, but not a lot of it. And so I wanted to, to give you a, a little bit of background on this book. First off, this is the difficulty in this book is that the author is still unknown. No one actually truly has landed on the authorship of this book. We can take a few things that we know from the author for sure, uh, the, the, that the writings are all written in present tense. So what he's talking about, what the author's talking about, and they're masculine as well. So what he's talking about in the writing, it's happening in that moment. So it's not a letter that he wrote about a time ago or about some future time coming. It's, it's a present day letter. So that helps us kind of narrow down the authorship a little bit, at least the time. We also see in here a, a couple different things. Um, First off is that the author is inc incredibly steeped in Judaism. He's, he's Jewish. He understands. He'd be what they would call in this day a Hasidic Jew, someone that was of Jewish descent but living and, and operating and kind of working around Greeks. And so most of what he, he, he quotes is the Septuagint, which would be the Greek Old Testament of the Hebrew text. And so, so he's very well steeped in Judaism. Very, he understands Jewish descent and, and order and the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to spend a ton of time in this book in the Old Testament. So that'll be interesting and fun as well. But he's also, um, but we don't know exactly uh, who the author is because of some of the ideas. Some have said Paul, uh, Apollos, Barnabas, a number of different people. But one of the things that we can know for sure is that because of how this book was written and where it was written, um, most have, at this point, most scholars have said, 
we're going to go ahead and just leave this unknown. In fact, some of our church fathers, Origen and Clement, some of the people that wrote, have a bunch of writings just after most of the publication of the, of the Bible and, 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 and those things. They have, um, they have quoted this book. And also, uh, Origen says, uh, he quotes in one of his writings when he's quoting Hebrews, it says, the author, only God knows who truly this author is. And so even those only slightly removed from the actual authorship of this still have no idea who the author is. Timeline-wise, we, we can know that this, was, this happened pre-70 AD because in 70 AD, if you know anything about history, that's when Jerusalem falls to Rome and they crush the temple and everything in that place. And so we know because of what this author's talking about and where he's working that the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system is still in place. What the Jews practiced through priesthood on the Temple Mount, that's still going on because of what he's writing about. And we'll, we'll get there in just a second. And so, so because of that, we know it's before 70 AD. And then in chapter um, 13, 23, we see that Timothy is released from prison. Well, we know that, that Paul never mentions Timothy being in prison. And so it postdates that. So really between those two things and a few other, we can basically say that this book was written sometime between 65 and 67 AD. And so there's kind of the, the overworking of the author and the, the writing of the book. Now, what's important for us to understand, and this is what I wanted to cover today, this is, this is incredibly important, is that, is that a lot of times when we're looking at um, Scripture, we want, because we have the author, we know kind of their bent or what they, how they choose to communicate and some of those things. Because we don't know that, it's hard for us to understand specifically who this letter's to. We, we can, again, from the way it's written, we can, we can discern a, a few things that scholars, way smart people before us have gone and figured out. But we can discern a few things about the way this, this book is written. It's written to Hebrews, to Jewish people. That should be fairly obvious for most of us. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, and, and then we, we may miss a lot of how this scripture is meant to be applied, is that it's not just a blanket letter to Jewish people. There are actually three different kind of versions of Judaism or believers or belief, belief assets or points in this book that are, that are attacked in different chapters. And that's important because some of the understanding of the theology and the, and the, the wrestling that we're going to have in this book on, on salvation and those other things, it's really important for us to understand who, who the author is writing to at that point because if we apply it to the wrong group, we may apply that thinking really, really differently. One of the, and, and the reason why this is important is one of the reasons why I really wanted to go through the book of Hebrews is over this last year in the journey of maturity as people have been working through, there's, there's been this predominant thing that I've, as a pastor, heard every year over and over and over again. And that is, that is this deep desire in us to question our faith. Am I truly saved? Do I, is, have I done enough to really follow the Lord? Is, is, is this sinfulness and these things that I do, is that keeping me out from him, or is he, is he, am I in? And there's this lack of confidence of salvation, this, this lack of confidence of, of understanding truly what does it mean to be saved. Maybe some of you are like, man, I've spent, I grew up in the church, I was raised in the church, and I, I know so much about so many different things, but my life, if you look at it, doesn't look anything like what these scriptures say. So, so what is it, what is it about me? Am I truly saved? And the author of, of Hebrews has a very specific task in fact, this, this, this letter actually doesn't really speak much like, or read much like a letter. It reads more like a sermon. It's, it just comes right out of the gate like a sermon, like someone's just jumping in and saying, all right, here we go. This is where we're going with this information. Again, as, as intellectual as this book is, as, as deep, as theologically rich as this book is, 
It's not meant to be just some kind of cool, I got some knowledge, and let's move on. In fact, the majority of it's written as an exhortation, which that word is, is essentially, it's a, it's a Greek word in their, in their origin, but it's meant to, to get someone to do something. So it's, here's the information now, here's what we do with this information. It's not just information for information base. It's not like you just have been drinking milk, and you're like, cool, you put a steak in and just swallow it. No, it's, it's I'm going to chew on this. I'm going to really work on this. What does this mean for me to dig into it as a whole? And so this book is very, very rich. Now, the three groups of people that I believe that this is being written to, there's a number of scholars that have actually laid this out, so this isn't original to me. But they talk uh, about a, a few different groups that you can see that if we don't pay attention to, to these groups, there's some interpretation errors that can come throughout the rest of this text. And so the first group of people is, again, a Jewish group of people. It's primary Hebrew Christians. These are people that have, have accepted and seen the gospel as true, but were of Jewish descent. Their, their family and their heritage and everything they knew and understood was, was Jewish and, and of Judaism. And they've followed that all the way up. And then comes Jesus Christ, and they see him and, and, and submit to him as the Messiah, the coming Messiah that so many had talked about for so long. So this is the first group, and this is the primary group of people that this letter is speaking to. This is where you see this over and over and over again. These are people that, that have been started to suffer persecution because of their belief, mostly from their, uh, the other Jewish people have persecuted them for accepting and, and following Jesus Christ. And so there's some persecution there. There's no martyrdom yet. We don't, we don't see that necessarily in here. We also know that the author of this book, which is interesting for our time period, is that... Um, is that he, he talks about hearing from those who had heard it from Christ. So this is a, a second generation. This is not someone that walked with Jesus Christ. It's, it's gone further down in this. So this first group of people are Hebrew Christians. They believed in the gospel. They've submitted themselves to it. But because of persecution, because of hardships, they're finding themselves kind of backsliding back to the religious system of Judaism. It's almost easier if we just, we stop claiming this Jesus thing and we just let ourselves kind of submit and kind of follow more of what Judaism does because then we won't be as persecuted. And I, my, my assumption is that most of us don't have um, Jewish descent in us. Most of us are not, have a rich, deep history of following that. And some of us may. But, but, but most of us haven't followed this for a long time. And so you're like, well, how does this really relate to us? Well, I, I, think, I think that this first group of people would be most of us that have submitted our lives to Christ today. See, most of us have not maybe experienced persecution like our brothers and sisters around the world experience, where our life is, is, is hanging in the balance of that decision, that, that statement. But we've experienced persecution, right? Because if we stand true on what we believe is faith, the world may call us bigoted or racist or, or not, not accepting. If we stand true to what we believe God calls us to, maybe relationships would be seen as, well, you're obviously old school in the way you view relationships, we maybe, we've, maybe some of us have felt persecution from family members, from friends. You may not call it persecution because you're like, well, I mean, just, it's just the world being the world, which is true, but that's what they were experiencing, the world being the world in that time. It just happened to be heavily in Jewish religion system, a Jewish religious system. And so for them, they experienced persecution that way. For us, maybe we don't experience much persecution, but really, I can pretty much guarantee that all of us at one point or another have thought, this is really hard. This whole following Jesus thing is really, really hard. And if not careful, if we don't pay attention to that, if we don't acknowledge that, if, the, if we just assume that, that it's difficult because we're doing it wrong, 
and that it's really meant to just be super, super easy, we may find ourselves backsliding back to the system we knew in the world prior to following Jesus. Which is, I know, I know what Jesus says about relationships, but this is just so much easier to do it this way. It's less, it's less, it's less difficult. And, and, and a lot of what was happening, and the reason why the, the author of Hebrews is pushing so hard on these, these people is because they were, they were, he saw them shrinking back, lacking confidence in Christ, and shrinking back in timidity to the religious system that they're part of. And honestly, if we were honest with ourselves, I mean, really, really honest with ourselves, so many of us this last year even have found instances where we've, where we, where we've shied away, we've shrunk back in our faith. We've taken steps back because we're like, oh man, that's, Jesus is asking me to do that with my money? That's too hard. Whoa, 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 wait. You're asking me to do what with my time? No, 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 no. I, I can't do that. Wait, wait. For, for this relationship to be done this way, that's just, it's just too difficult. It's so much easier to do what the world's system is. And so we find ourselves shrinking back. So that's the first group of people that this book is written to. The second group of people is um, a group that is, again, Jewish, but they're unbelievers who are convicted of the basic truths of the gospel. So these are people that, that, that experienced, they saw the gospel as a whole and they were convicted by it. They, they liked the idea of it, but they didn't submit themselves to the Lord as Jesus Christ, to Jesus Christ as Lord. They, they were convicted by the truths of the gospel. They saw value in the gospel, but they didn't actually submit themselves to, to the Lord. One, one scholar wrote it this way, they're intellectually persuaded, but spiritually uncommitted. They loved the idea of Jesus, but they weren't, there was no commitment there. And unfortunately, I think this is a lot of Christianity today in America. And we are so good about talking about Jesus up here. So good about, oh yeah, scriptures, I can, man, I was an Awanas champ for three years. Watch this, like just say it, I'll read it out loud. I'll say it without even having to read it. But it never ever makes it from our head down to our heart. It never makes it from our head to our actions, to our life. We, we understand scripture only enough to, to point out where someone else is doing it wrong, but not enough to submit ourselves to Christ as Lord. This is, this is a section I think a lot of people are. In fact, J- Jesus talks about this. Jesus says that many on the day will say, I, didn't I do all these amazing things in light of you? And he says, away from me, I never knew you. First John talks about this group of people. These are people that have spent a long time and they started leaving the church and, and John, was the, the, he's saying, look, they, they seemed like they were of us, but they were never really of us. These are people that, have, that, that, that played the part, man, you showed up to church every week, even gave some money, you served, you, were, you, had, you had everyone on the outside convinced that you were saved, but you never, ever submitted your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the second group that he's talking to. These are people that, that loved the idea of the gospel. They were convicted by the gospel, but they weren't ever submitted to him as Lord. Again, thinking about where this book is written, right, one of the biggest purposes of this book, one of the biggest questions of this book is coming out is, is our confidence in Christ. Can, can we truly be sure? Can we be confident that Jesus is our Lord? Can we be confident that we are his children? This group of people is going to struggle with that confidence the most. Because if you're not going to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord, you're never ever going to have any confidence as to whether or not you understand what it means to live for his purposes. You'll, you'll, never, you'll never connect those dots you got to submit to him as Lord. The third group was just unbelieving Jews. Um, these are people that had exposure to the gospel but weren't convinced of it. Almost all of chapter 9 is written to this group of people. And, and again, for a lot of us, that's maybe not the Jewish descent, but there's a lot of um, people that have been around 
Christianity for a long time. They've been around the, the church. They've been around the scriptures. They've even been raised in the church. And they never, ever, ever submitted their life. They have no desire to submit their life. And for, for uh, my hope is that that's not a lot of you in here. Maybe that's some of us, for sure. But I can guarantee all of us know someone like that. We have a family member, a spouse, a child, a friend that is just not convinced by this, not convicted. It keeps... It almost seems like every time you share, you, you point out, it, it, like their heart hardens. For what, it, for what it's worth, the scriptures are either going to harden or soften the heart. There is no medium ground there. It's either going to soften them or harden them. And so this group, it, again, th- there's, some, there's some writing in this that's toxic, but, but our posture should be for these people, for these individuals, it shouldn't be for us to harden our heart to them. We should be spending more and more time praying for their hearts. Some of you have really, really, really close family members that you love that don't know the gospel. And you have probably spent a year not, not praying for them. We should be on our faces before the Lord pleading, God, save their souls. And I have, I have really close family that won't and isn't convinced of the gospel. In fact, it seems very hostile to the gospel and it breaks my heart for two ways. One is that they don't know and, and, and how often I forget to pray for them. And so there's a, there's, a, there's, there's a push on us in here to not harden ourselves to their hardness, but instead to, to, to soften our hearts to the Lord doing an amazing work in their hearts so that they can have the hope and the peace and the joy that we know is true only coming from Jesus Christ. And so there's those three groups of people that are being written to. There's the, the churchgoer, person that just goes on a regular basis but has no actual conviction, no, no life. There's no maturity happening here. This is, I mean, that's specifically, he's, he's talking specifically to this group. He's like, you, you should be eating steak by now, but you're still drinking milk from the mama. You, you should be so much more mature. We have a bunch of babies that can shave. A bunch of people that are completely spiritually immature. This book, what's the point of this book? The, the point of this book is, and the, the author does such a profound job in doing this, specifically around the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system. So the two things that were intact in this place were, were, were what this author is truly kind of combating. And his point, you ready for this? Is that Jesus is greater. That's the, that's the whole point. He, he's literally saying, look, the, the, holy, the, the priesthood system, the Levitical priesthood, that, 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 that veil that separated us from God is no more in place. I am the holiest of priests, Jesus Christ. He is. And because of our, because of our submission to him, he actually, in 1 Peter, we're called a holy priesthood. So we are part of that now. And so he's, he's talking about how that Levitical system, that, religions, that religious system is, is, is less than Jesus Christ. Similar to the sacrificial system. I don't think most of us are sacrificing animals today. If you are, please tell us so we can alert the third authorities. But either way, um, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't think most of us are doing that. But in, the, in, in this setting, it, for them, it was the only way they could make themselves right before God. It was the only way that they could find any kind of peace in knowing that they were in a right standing with the Lord until they walked out of the temple, stubbed their toe, and said something they shouldn't have, and they had to go find another pigeon and start all over again. Like, that was the only way that they were going to find hope. And Jesus is greater than that. Jesus says, there is no sacrifice needed anymore because I am it. So the author of Hebrews is pushing on us and says, look, everything that we see, Jesus is greater. Jesus is far superior to anything. There is no close second 
There is no, oh man, it was like it was Jesus and then it's just kind of, it's just barely, he just barely beat out this. Like, no, there is no close second. Jesus is greater and that is the point of this book. And he's going to make this point over and over and over and over again. And here's why this is important. For those of us in this room that lack confidence, man, am I really saved? For those of us that, that, that look at our actions and go, man, this, this is so different than what his scriptures say. I, I know like his scriptures say this. I, I remember it. I've heard it over and over again. I've heard someone yell at me from the front about it. Like I've seen it. I've read it. I get it. But I keep living this way. When we stand in that spot, we can either stand in confidence in Christ or fall away in timidity. And you know how that happens is because we believe Christ isn't greater. It's interesting, the whole book at the end of this goes into faith, which I'm so excited to get into that. You realize that our confidence in Christ and faith are pretty much connected. When we lack confidence in Christ, what do you think we lack? Faith. Why? Because because our faith isn't founded on the only thing that can actually not go away and be stronger than every other issue we have. We We are, our faith, our wondering of who we are in Christ is tied to the confidence we have that Jesus Christ is greater than every single religious system you have. He's, you know what? Let me just say this. Jesus is greater than your, your devotion times. He's greater than your giving. He's greater than the church you go to. He's greater than your marriage. He's greater than absolutely everything. He's in all of that, which is profoundly beautiful. But he is greater than everything you have. And so many of us operate with a sort of currency with grace and faith. Okay, well, if I do this many right things and only this many wrong things, then maybe I'll be okay. There's no confidence in Christ in that. That's all confidence in ourselves, which will leave you, unfortunately, really depressed and sad at some point. So when we dig into Hebrews, when we, when we press into this, I'm going to ask you this year, this is, this is the, the goal, the push, that you would continue to mature, don't just stop and be like, oh, sweet, glad that year's over. I'm tired of maturing. That's not how that works, okay? But that you would, we're, we're gonna push the church into risky faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys, out of the maturity that God has brought you through as the, as the, as in the mat- maturation process you're in right now, to find out where God is asking you to take a step in faith. And even as I say that, some of you right now, you know exactly what he's asking you to do. You know, this has not been some kind of hypothetical. You know exactly what he's asking you to do, and you are too timid, too fearful of man or some other system that you won't do it. We're going to ask you to step out in faith this year. I'm going to ask you to step out in faith in your marriages. Ask you to step out in faith with your kids. Step out in faith with your actions. Step out in faith where you actually believe that the addiction you have can be beaten by Christ and has already won in him. We're going to push you. Risky faith is what we're going to push to this year. How is, how is God going to push you where you are no longer comfortable? No longer comfortable just standing in the status quo. No longer willing to just be that person that likes to align themselves with Jesus but not really submit themselves to him. I'm going to ask God to, to push you guys all year long in faith. And I, I'm excited. The, 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 the stories and the people's lives in this last year in maturity has been profoundly painful and awesome at the same time. And I'm excited to see what God does in you with faith. Now, before you just jump off a cliff in your faith, you gotta remember, you gotta understand that there's, there's scripture and confidence in Christ now, and you're, you're meant to do that as a family. And so I, I hope, I hope this year that you guys would be faithful to the faith that God has given you. 
I hope that as we dig into the intellectual level of, of, of Hebrews and as we dig into it, we're like, man, this makes no sense. And some of it, you're going to have to just settle with the fact that we're not going to settle it. There have been way smarter people than me working through this again. I don't know. But as you dig into that and you, and you see the, the understanding kind of click and you're like, wow, this maturity that God has done in me isn't just so that I can be the smartest person in the room. It's so that I can live the way he's called me to live, the way he's gifted me to live, to live the life that he has, he has purposely put in place so I can use the gifts and the strength and everything that he's called and given me to do for his glory and his purposes. And some of you, some of you that means you're gonna have to step in a spot that you are completely underqualified for, completely like unaware of what the next step after that is, but you're just gonna go ahead and step out there and guess what? That faith is attuned to his confidence in God and it's a part of his word. It's an awesome spot to be. You, you tell me one Old Testament story, which we're gonna hit a lot of them, where someone didn't look like a complete fool in their faith of God. Man, I hope, I hope as a body, I hope we look really foolish to this world. I hope that, I hope that we, we, within the safety of scripture and community, we step out in just profoundly beautiful ways where it's like there is no way we can accomplish this, but with God, he's already accomplished it through Christ. So we're going we're gonna to push in. The, the band's going to come out. We're going to worship. We're going we're gonna to push into to faith this year. We're going to push into the, the, the book of Hebrews and understanding what does it really mean for us to not just hear these words, but to, to take it like an exhortation where we understand that he is calling us to do something with what he's teaching us. And, and as we do this, we, we specifically kind of loaded the service where we only did one song on the front and have a bunch on the tail end. And I, I want to give you guys time because, see, some of us right now, the faith that God's calling us to, we're afraid of man in it. We, we know what God's calling us to, but we are afraid of some person and what they may think or what they may do or how it may work out, and we have not allowed our confidence in Christ to crush our fear of man. And so I want to give you guys some time. Like, stand, sing, loud, worship God, not worry about your tone or your pitch, just, just, just worship God with your voice. Some of you, it may mean that you need to just sit you just need to sit. You need to listen. You need God to, to say to you what he's already been saying to you over and over again. I am greater. Some of you, this means that you're going to have to make a hard decision. This means that you're going to have to realize, like, okay, I can't keep going at this this way anymore. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done going through the motions. I would encourage you if, you, if you need prayer, ask someone for it. Someone invite you, someone sitting next to you, stand up. Maybe you just need to go pray for someone, then go pray for someone. Whatever, whatever it is, let's, let's not go through the motions anymore. Let's let this last year of maturity really be his work in us and let's let it really move us past just understanding of scripture into it actually playing out in our lives. Wherever it is, whether you need to stand, sit, sing, be quiet, do it. Do it out of full submission to him. Some of you, that's really hard because you haven't done that. Maybe your journey is I've been raised in the church, I've been around for a while, but I, you know what? I just, I just keep running from him because of, and you have probably some really great excuses that most people go, yeah, it makes sense. But it doesn't make sense to the Lord. Maybe, maybe for you, this is the time that you finally profess. You submit yourself to Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, 9. Confess, acknowledge that he is king, he is Lord. Submit yourself, your entire life to him. And guess what? Here's a really cool part. We're doing a baptism next week. 
Let's go and baptize you next week by profession. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. God, we are excited. I'm, I'll admit, a bit timid in moving through the book of Hebrews. It's a, it's a heavy book, but you've, you've kept it here in your perfect word for us. And so, God, we pray for uh, not our own understanding, but pure and undefiled wisdom from above as we dig into this book, as we look for your answers, as we look for your truth and how this plays out in our, our life. God, I pray for foolishness in our lives when it comes to faith. Not a foolishness from the scriptures, but a foolishness that makes no sense to this world because of our peace in our confidence of Jesus Christ, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us a excitement to, to, to push into who you are and what you're doing in our lives, Lord. I pray that this would be the year where your church is transformed. Where, where the little small C church here is just, a, is just a, a small part of what you're doing across this valley, across this world, to bring your kingdom here now, Lord. And I pray for our little, our little body here, God. I pray that this would be a people devoted, faithful, following, submitted, accountable, faithful, Lord. I pray that we would, we'd be a people that, that no longer have to worry about the foundation of who you are through Jesus Christ but instead would rest in peace knowing how confident we are in Jesus Christ. And God, for the individuals in here that, that have been close proximity to Jesus, have spent a lot of time around Jesus, but just their life would say a totally different thing, God, I pray that you'd wreak havoc with their hearts right now. I pray that you'd crush them in, in a way that only you could do, that draws them not in, in guilt or shame towards you, but draws them in hope and peace towards you. Father, would you help us to not move in fear. God, for the individuals in here, when I talk about making a step of faith that have already heard and have already spoken to you and already have prayed through and had accountability through and sought counsel through, God, that you've already called them to, I pray that you would remove the fear that's holding them back. Allow them to step out in faith. God, may we never, ever, ever be short on faith because we're never short on how much greater you are than everything there is in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.